Welcome to the 14th episode of Earwig Serials. I'm your sick host, Tyler McNamara, and I'm doing my best to turn this noise that's coming out of my throat into a wacky morning DJ thing. Hopefully this will be the only episode that I sound like this. And thankfully, I didn't have a cold when I recorded this chapter. But yes, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Dark Space. And now for chapter 13. Chapter 13. Confrontation. Ray. As the elevator carried Ray down from the twelfth floor, she thought, It's just a coincidence that Ashley chose Stims. He made up those side effects days before I took the first pill. She looked at her reflection in the steel doors. Or, Ashley somehow hacked the results of my Umar's entrance physical. The doors parted, and Ashley's empty receptionist desk greeted her. Ray looked at it and imagined for an instant that it would be empty from now on, and was surprised to realize she would miss him if that happened. Would Ashley really go so far out of his way to get me flowers, just to cover up his backstab? His note said he was sorry and wanted to start over. I had assumed he meant go back to before the incident, but fuck, maybe he meant go back to our phone conversation. She walked across the lab, casually looking for him among the other stations. Maybe he is far more sneaky than I gave him credit for, and the whole mousy thing is an act. I have seen him hold his own, but I've also seen him try to lie. Ashley is not a manipulative person. That's Evermore. I think it's true he feels betrayed by Evermore, but if he truly did it to turn me against Evermore, I feel like there's a hundred other ways he could have tried which didn't bring up my chemical history. Ray realized that her hand was fondling the folded square of aluminum foil and the final pill in her pocket. Seriously? I just took one. She withdrew her hand. Where's Ashley? She called across the lab. The researchers looked the direction of Ashley's desk and realized for the first time that he wasn't there. No one answered. She remembered what Evermore had said about Ashley being a survivor, and thought back to the moment she had struck him. Ashley. Ray shook her head to jostle the thought out of her mind. She hadn't thought it. It didn't belong there, and now it was gone. As she moved through the lab, she approached Dr. Joseph Allen hunched over his workstation. Dr. Allen, she said quietly as she approached, I was hoping you could help me understand the implications of the vibrating crystal. Dr. Joseph Allen looked up from a nauseating grid of numbers he was examining, visibly reorganized his thoughts, and said, Well, it's important that we don't get ahead of ourselves. Dr. Ma'at's statement that two crystals were vibrating at the same time miles apart isn't as convincing a statement as he'd have you think. It really just means that whatever is causing the crystals to vibrate is affecting both locations. If we put two solar panels on opposite sides of the Earth, they're both going to be affected by the sun. Now if we... That wasn't Ashley, she decided. That was Evermore using Ashley because he's afraid of being one of those micromanaging bosses. That was Evermore's way of accusing me without threatening. He was giving me a chance to change. Not realizing that she had drifted off, Alan was still regaling her with his wealth of knowledge. Still most likely a wave, probably from his Omni connecting to Cloud Nine. The possibility of something beyond the electromagnetic spectrum is like saying there's a room in your house you've never been in. If I quit cold turkey, I'll be a mess. I won't even be able to do one job, so that's not even an option until after I finish my hours at Candor and Jensen. But if anyone has any suspicions and mentions them to Evermore, I'll lose my job. Fuck me. Either way, I'm going to get fired and no one on Mars will ever hire me again. And then I'll be stuck on the streets of Mars. There's room between the walls, Dr. Raymond Hubert said as he approached Alan's desk. The rest of the team was still out of sight behind their workstation screens. The analogy was that there's an entire room you don't know about, Alan repeated. Hubert nodded. 
I understand, but you're comparing the known universe, a dimension filled with 95% mystery, to the place you live and have arranged and organized yourself. Again, it's an analogy. They're meant to be oversimplified. Alan was getting frustrated. No, no, I'm not arguing against it. It's actually a perfect analogy. But what it represents is how our team is limited to seeing the house through our preconceived ideas of house. The plumber sees a much different house than the carpenter or the electrician. Ray tried to imagine how she would survive on the streets of Niley, but the image was pushed from her mind by a much stronger one, her face headlining the top stories in Scientific American, Wired, and Time. These are my dreams, and nothing will stand in my way. As she returned to the present, she saw Alan squaring off against Hubert, except that Hubert was so engaged in his conversation he didn't realize it was only stimulating to him. Ray said, Which are you, Dr. Hubert? Do you see the house like a scientist? Goodness, no. I'm a philosopher. The universe I live in is multitudes bigger. For all we know, our scientific inquiry permeates the universe like a beam of light, filling each room of the known like a light turning on, but surrounding that room in an insulating layer of unknown that keeps us confounded until someone starts thinking like an X-ray. But even then, only the next layer of unknown becomes visible. I can only imagine it's layer after layer like that all the way out. Or maybe we're like rats in a maze, and it's designed to test and teach us, Ray said, interrupting Alan's inevitable retort. Hubert grinned, and Ray changed the subject. How's the search? Have you found a species of lichen that could be a biological match for Ma'at's S3060? Hubert shook his head. No, not yet, Dr. Dahlia. The elevator doors opened, and Ashley stepped out. He surveyed the room. He and Ray locked eyes for a moment. Fuck, maybe I'm entirely wrong. He's trying to read me, and he looks nervous. She broke eye contact. Thank you for your help, Dr. Allen, Ray said as she left his workstation and returned to her own. Forcing herself not to look at Ashley, she wrote, R. Dahlia, I never apologized about the other day. I'm so sorry about what happened. I can't believe I lost control like that. A. Rafariel, why'd you do it? R. Dahlia, I think I felt trapped. I thought you were threatening me with that smile. A. Rafariel, it's okay. You're under a lot of pressure. R. Dahlia, I never thanked you for the flowers either. A. Rafariel. Don't mention it. You deserve them. R. Dahlia. They couldn't have been easy to get. A. Rafariel. I've got a friend. R. Dahlia. Only one? A. Rafariel. Just about. R. Dahlia. Now you deserve flowers. A. Rafariel. It's true. I don't get a lot of opportunities to meet friends. That sounds pathetic, but I'm basically caught between the service class and the scientist class. R. Dahlia, there aren't many people up here looking to make friends. A. Rafariel, true. Half the people are only here to fulfill their ambitions, and the other half just want to get away from Earth. R. Dahlia, I can't say I've got much waiting for me back on Earth. A. Rafariel, is that why you're so keen to invent FTL and go somewhere else? Ray looked across the lab to gauge his expression. He hadn't meant it to, but that didn't stop his words from cutting her to the bone. Before Ray left for Mars, Deborah had insinuated the same thing. Why does everyone think I'm running from something? She changed the subject. R. Dahlia, what are you doing over the weekend? Ray waited, fully aware that she was baiting him again. A. Rafariel, nothing exciting. You? Her heart sank. Had she successfully trained another one, or was he no longer interested? R. Dahlia, working at K&J. A. Rafariel, you're going to burn out if you don't take some time for yourself. Ray wrote, Maybe I need you to show me how, then deleted it and typed, R. Dahlia, I'll keep that in mind. Ashley's words stayed with her for the rest of the day. They clung to her hair like a bad smell. 
You're going to burn out if you don't take some time for yourself. Will he notice when I don't take time and don't burn out? I made it through four years of university without taking time for myself. This is how I operate. Deborah always said I had to be working on some project. Besides, there isn't enough time anyway. Even cheating sleep, I'm still years away from where I wanted to be years ago. I'll sleep when I've arrived. Ashley Ashley waited until everyone had left Lab 7 for the day. It seemed as if Ray was doing the same thing, because ten minutes after the last team member had left, she shut down her workstation, and as she waited for the elevator doors to close, their eyes met. There was softness at first, but after a moment her face hardened, and she left him with a snide remark. You're going to burn out if you don't take time for yourself. He nodded acknowledgement stoically, but as soon as she left, Ashley jumped up from his desk and combed the northern wall for the secret panel he knew was there. It wasn't hard to find. The door was a shaped panel perfectly flush with the wall. Pressing it pushed the door inward. He closed it behind him and leapt up the stairs. At the top, Ashley waited behind the wall of Evermore's office until he caught his breath. He pressed his eye to the peephole before venturing to open the hidden door. Even though no one was around to hear him, he tiptoed across Evermore's office and quietly settled into the high-backed leather executive's chair. He wiggled his finger on Evermore's workstation and it awoke, showing a mess of files. Ashley minimized each file so he could reach Samuel's birth certificate. It said, Samuel Resnick was born in Grand Island, Nebraska in 2003. It said Samuel was 45. Ashley laid his Omni on the workstation and a pop-up appeared to ask him for a password to enable the network link. Without pausing to second-guess himself, he carefully typed in 238U4.468X10-9Y, Evermore's favorite isotope of uranium, followed by its half-life. The password was accepted and the connection established. After drag-and-dropping the audio file labeled Samuel Resnick onto his Omni, he executed a little program he'd written which would penetrate Evermore's workstation log files and delete any trace of his electronic presence. It was then that Ashley realized what had stopped him from stealing the files when he first discovered them. It was too easy. It was a crime of opportunity. But now the risk of getting caught and the ingenuity required to get away with it allowed him to earn his prize. But even now he was still left with an uncomfortable sensation, the unaccustomed feeling of doing something for himself. Fuck that, he thought as he put the workstation back into sleep mode and left through the passage in the wall. Rather than slipping it back into his pocket, Ashley found himself holding his Omni close to his chest, cherishing the revenge he'd stolen for himself. Ashley hurried from the stairwell back to Lab 7, feeling like a boy with a brand new bike. All he wanted to do was ride. He hurried to his station and opened the Samuel Resnick MP3. White noise and some soft rustling of bedsheets or fabric preceded the voice. October 31st, 2024. It was Evermore, four days before Ashley's first birthday, long before he lived next door and twelve years before the Synthetic Man trial. I may still be dreaming, but I've been awakened by a ghost. Ashley imagined him in a nightgown and cap like Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. He smiled and strained his ears at the long silence which followed. Someone was talking softly, but all he could hear was the staccato notes of the S's and D's. He turned up the volume. To do that is to die. Ashley pulled the progress bar almost back to the beginning. But I've been awakened by a ghost, Evermore repeated. He cranked the volume to maximum. I am not a ghost, said a voice in a weak whisper. I am an energetic being that refuses to relinquish my consciousness. To do that is to die, and I was promised eternal life. It was also Evermore's voice, 
but he was speaking while inhaling and whispering from the back of his throat. In his speaking voice, Evermore asked, Well then, if you're not a ghost, who are you? His own raspy whisper answered, You may call me Samuel. Ashley had been holding his breath so as to make out every word, but at the mention of Samuel's name, the breath exploded out of his chest in a burst of laughter. No, he chuckled. A ghost? Really? What can I do for you, Samuel? asked Evermore. Ashley shook his head in disbelief. He knew I'd want revenge, so he gave me something juicy to steal. Your one mistake, Ashley told the recording, was putting the files right out in the open on your desktop. He thought of the birth certificate. But why put the contradictory evidence right next to it? To keep me guessing? To pull me further into your prank? Ashley knew the doc would have a contingency plan for either outcome. In the MP3, Evermore asked, Would an empty body work? Perhaps a coma victim? No, the container must match the contents. Building a body will ruin my reputation. Ashley paused the recording. He's preying on my suspicions. He's known I've suspected he was building another synthetic human and yet never explained why he wanted me to program the genome printer to build all those mitochondria cells. Obviously, he's testing my trustworthiness. He knew I'd come looking for proof someday, and if he could also squeeze in a lesson about gullibility, he would. Ashley was about to hit play again, but his finger stopped, hovering over the button. If Evermore wanted to trick me into believing that Samuel was a ghost possessing a synthetic body we built together, then he wouldn't have said it in 24. Samuel looks 12, not 20. The timing is off. Okay, he told the recording. Let's assume for a moment that you're authentic. Why would Evermore leave you where I could find you? Ashley started the recording again. The passage of time between recording sessions wasn't noted, so Ashley had no way of knowing how many days, months, or years were in between each session. But if there was any similarity between them, it was that Samuel would discuss philosophy, and Evermore would do his best to explain science, of which Samuel was severely ignorant. For instance, the concept of gravity as a force amazed him. Ashley thought back to his own late-night science tutorials back in Evermore's garage. Are we building another synthetic human? Wasn't the only question the doc had never answered. Ashley had asked him why he had risked everything to build something as boring as a human. Without fail, Evermore would get a faraway look of regret, then his eyes would twinkle and he'd say, Someday you'll understand. Is today someday? he asked the recording and three and a half hours later, Ashley found his answer. The recording hissed with the start of a new session, and the first voice to break the white noise had the timbre and cadence of an infant, but the tone and message was older than all of them combined. It said, Ah, life aspirates the breath of God. Evermore sighed and said, I don't believe in God. Again, the unripe voice spoke, This is not some bearded white guy living in a gated community of clouds and pearls. It does not need you to believe. It only needs you to live. Life is God's chest rising and falling. As we breathe in life, light, and new energy, we convert the light to shadow. After the in-breath peaks, it is followed by an out-breath. But do not picture this out-breath moving out, away from you. It does not. It too moves through all life, carrying with it a shadow. And at the bottom of the out-breath, the shadow is transformed into light. Ashley stopped the recording and pushed his omni away. It wasn't far enough. He stood, walked away from it, but turned back around as the hairs on his neck stood on end. What the fuck, Doc? Hoax or not, something is seriously wrong with you. Ray. The Lab 7 team, clad in mint-green cleanroom suits, was standing around a crystal incubation chamber Ia's contractors had built in the center of the lab over the weekend. 
The sealed chamber was filled with hundreds of glass dishes the size of an American quarter. Each dish contained a tiny crystal the size and appearance of a single grain of coarse sugar. Ray had been grilling the team to come up with ways to accelerate the growth process when she was interrupted by her ringing Omni. She tapped her Omni twice through all her layers to silence the call. It continued to ring, and, as she patted her thigh, she realized the square of foil wrapped around the stems in her pocket was getting in the way. She pressed her hand over it to mute the noise, but a moment later it rang again. She rushed to exit the clean room, stripped off the light green bodysuit, and gave the Omni an irritated look. But when she saw it was Dr. Evermore, her affect shifted to concern. Dr. Evermore, she said, this is unexpected. He can't be expecting results already. Why is he calling? Her fingers incautiously slid into her pocket and curled around the square of foil. No need to worry, my dear. I have been reading your reports and finding myself excited to discover what was affecting Ma'at's crystal. The S-3060? No. We've shielded it from all forms of sound, light, and radiation, but nothing has stopped it from vibrating. Have you tried exposing it to different spectrums to increase its vibrations? He asked. No, the organism in the Rochelle salt is unique and fragile, and Ma'at is reluctant to let us test it beyond shielding and occasionally prodding it with an oscilloscope. My dear, there's a point in every science when external observation reaches its limit. It's time to follow in the footsteps of Henry Gray and dig a little deeper. That's the Gray's Anatomy guy? She grimaced, remembering Samuel's tirade about vivisecting life. I agree, I think, but I promised Ma'at that before we sacrifice his only living sample to science, we would build an analog to test on. So we've begun building our own crystal-forming organism. She swiped through her omni-gallery and sent Evermore an image of the sugar crystals. Dr. Evermore, meet Liparia tilosacrin. It has the mycobiant from your skyscraper lichen, and a photobiant cyanobacterium derived from the S3060. What you're seeing is a sucrose crystal, the tilosacrin, or PS, has built after a week of high exposure to light, carbon dioxide, and water. Ray's lips danced into a smile as she said, The lichen has bonded so closely within the molecular lattice of the sugar crystal that the PS has become, in effect, a living stone. Standing on its own, this is quite the feat, my dear. But why build a new lichen when you could have replicated the S3060 bacteria? Ray felt that he was accusing her of wasting time. Dr. Evermore, not only are we trying to discover the cause of the vibration, we are looking ahead to possible applications. We chose lichen for its cryptobiotic ability. The lichen, when severely desiccated, enters a metabolic stasis rather than dying. There's no need to be defensive. It was not my intention to threaten. Does this lichen exhibit the same mysterious vibrations as the bacteria? I wasn't threatened, she said, before answering him. Inconclusive. We used a very precise soldering vise to hold the grain of sugar against the oscilloscope probe, but we couldn't get a clean signal. In the meantime, we're attempting to accelerate their growth, and we've got an appointment to use the UMARS X-ray synchrotron tomorrow. Then let's talk again this Friday at 3 p.m. Ray remembered back to her last talk with Evermore. Yeah, I'll bet he wants to check up on my progress. Ten to one, he's checking to see if I've taken him up on that chance to sober up. Ray started to repeat the meticulous process of getting back into her cleanroom gear, but this time she made sure the foil wouldn't block her omni. It's time to come down. Fuck. Later that evening, as she rode the automated rickshaw to K&J Labs for another four hours, she texted the chemist. R. Dahlia, I'd like to place an order. T. Chemist, you're earlier than I'd expected. I guess the rumors about you burning the midnight oil at K&J are true. R. Dahlia, who's spreading these rumors? 
T, chemist. The analysts in your lab. They're pissed. You're only scheduled to come in on weekends, but your productivity is better than 50% of theirs. R. Dahlia. I'm about to knock another four off my 36-hour goal for the week, but I think my worth ethic is about to take a nosedive. Ray waited to see if he'd understand her hint. T. Chemist. I'm sorry, but you've got to let me know before you run out. T. Chemist. Unless you're interested in something else. R. Dahlia. I am. T. Chemist. Give me two days to prepare your order. Ray mentally counted the remaining pills in her pocket. That should be perfect. I may not be able to be sober for this meeting with Evermore, but I'll get there soon. Even though she had been to K&J Labs over twenty times, she still needed a map to navigate the twisting corridors to her lab. As she was scanned and let in, she was surprised to see that she wasn't alone. One of the other analysts, a woman whom Ray had never met, was still there, and by the samples covering her desk, Ray guessed the woman wouldn't be leaving any time soon. Good evening, Dr. Dahlia. She looked nervous. Is she awestruck? I have to admit I'm a little flattered. I don't believe we've met before. Dr. Rita Jampana. Ray cocked her head at her as she realized the samples she was testing were already labeled, but as she stepped closer and stuck out her hand, she recognized her own handwriting on the vials. Ray turned away from Jampana and crossed the room to the cooler in the center of the lab. How's my work compared to your standards? She called over her shoulder. I mean no offense, doctor, but this lab works as a team. We have before you showed up and will after you leave. If we produce some standard measurements, all of our research suffers and our entire team looks bad. How have I been making you look so far? Jampana said. Good, with one exception. Ray's heart immediately started pounding. She held her chest to muffle the sound as if the analyst could have possibly heard. The last sample was mislabeled. What is Leparia tilosacrin? It's what I spend all night thinking about. Ray let her embarrassment through her cool veneer. That's what I named the mitochondria I'm trying to build in Hakaru. Japana's features and voice softened as she said, I know what that is like. I'm still working on one from last month. I had to set it down because I had become obsessed. What is the latest puzzle like? God, I wish I had that kind of free time, Ray thought, but also knew that another part of her loved the rush of being overworked. You don't want to know. The analyst sighed, No, I suppose not. As Ray carried an untested batch of samples from the cooler to her work area, and noticed that Jampana hadn't stopped double-checking her work. So what's it like working for THE Dr. Evermore? Is it true that he only talks in riddles? Ray scrunched up her brow. No, that would be ridiculous. But on the other hand, she had to admit it was partially true. It's just like working here, but because EI is a young business, no one's really sure if the whole thing will just supernova and burn itself out of existence. You should be grateful. K&J is stable. Secure. Jampana packed up the finished samples and returned them to the cooler. How did you even get that job? Is that jealousy? Are you asking what did I have to do? I'm just curious. That was a big jump from intern to head of your own lab. I don't want to pick a fight with this lady. Dr. Evermore reached out to me. I got lucky, I guess. I would guess you get a lot of things just handed to you. Ray turned to face her, though Jampana was seated at her workstation with her back to Ray. I don't know what your problem is, but I don't want to get into it. I've already put in a full day of work. I'm tired. I just want to get through this and go home. So now you understand why I'm double-checking your work. Aren't you lonely up here? Ray asked. Jampana didn't respond, and Ray did her best to ignore her and focus on her own work. After Ray processed a full tray of samples, she returned them to the freezer and said, There's another one ready for you. The analyst left five minutes later. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider following me on Twitter at Tyler R. McNamara, M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A, and using the hashtag M-O-D-S-Book. You can learn more about the book project at earwigpublishing.com or on Facebook at Earwig Publishing. Earwig Serials is supported by you listeners. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider becoming a monthly supporter and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash motherofdarkspace. Or if you'd like to make a single offering, visit paypal.me slash earwigpublishing. Finally, I'd like to thank the artist Silent Partner for the use of their song Frequency. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>